good morning to you all. I'm glad you're here on this uh, beautiful, almost December day. And uh, wasn't that rain last week something? I, uh, I actually slipped on some ice, landed on my head, and uh, was, was even a little bit, I wouldn't say I was knocked out, but I, I've had a little bit more headaches this week than, uh, I was almost recovering from the headaches from my motorcycle accident, and then a few people have said, you got to quit banging your head, and I agree, uh, either that, uh, maybe it's just got such a big head and I'm like a bobble and I just land on my head all the time, I'm not sure. Don't laugh too hard, cut that out. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, as we finish this series of the fruit of the Spirit, this is definitely the sermon where your Holy Spirit needs to come through very strong and powerfully. Uh, God, honestly, so many of us have created a lifestyle and uh, we kind of have this disconnect with you. Uh, we get so influenced by the world that it isn't a surprise that we are exhibiting the sins of the flesh. Uh, God, would you help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to examine our own lives. We don't need to figure out other people's. But examine our lives that we could be so infused with your presence and your power that we begin to see some victory in our soul wounds, some victory in our hurts, in our diseases, some victory in areas of our life that have been stuck for a long time. God would do this new work today. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So I have a question, and I sometimes start with a question, and my question for you today is, what or who is influencing you? What or who is influencing you? This last week, and I've been trying to kind of pay attention to when I'm watching television, what is the, besides the entertainment value, you know, there's a murder mystery or I like science fiction, you know, there's that kind of stuff, you know, spaceships going, speed of light. But underneath the layers in the show that you're watching, the news article you're reading, the friend that you're having coffee with who maybe or maybe doesn't have a biblical perspective, what is the underlying story? What is the influence? Now, I've noticed this week, and it's been kind of crazy, I think I've watched five or six TV shows Every one of them were pushing the whole uh, gender fluidity agenda. They were pushing, you know, that you can decide whether you're male or female, that whole thing. And uh, every single one of them, I think it was six shows, everyone had that agenda. And then we wonder why, and now I'm a little bit older, Pastor Rod called himself old today, uh, being surprised that you can send us stuff instantly. But us older ones, moving down to the younger ones, it doesn't surprise me that so much of the world's ideas and thoughts are in the church contrary to the scriptures. The younger you are, the more affected, and I'm going to be really blunt here, the more infected you are by social media, by the news, by the stuff you can pull up on that thing in your pocket, that cell phone, that tablet, whatever you might have, you have instant access to the world's thoughts and ideas. 
And so I ask you again, what is influencing you? What is helping you to set your mind straight? And again, we should never be shocked in the church to find out that a lot of people in our pews think just like the world does. I shouldn't be shocked when I watch those six shows this week why I'm starting to think just like the world does. What's influencing you? This week I had a bit of a rough week and I've started to learn through this series more than any series that I've ever gone through that whatever the topic is that week, I'm probably going to get challenged on it. So this week, and you probably, if you follow along, know what the week is, and I'll get to that in a moment, but this week on Monday I bought a vacuum for my wife. She was away. Isn't that a good present for your wife when she comes home? You got to hear, honey, a new vacuum. (laughs) My first Christmas with my wife, I bought her a sewing machine. Let's just say it was a bit of a chill for a while. I also bought new light bulbs for my chandelier in my dining room. The old ones weren't burnt out. I just didn't like the color of them. I bought some smart plugs this week because I wanted to be able to sit in my big leather comfy chair and turn the light off and on that's right beside me with my smartphone. On Friday, my wife, Friday night actually, she looks over at me and I'm on my tablet and I have a certain website open. Well, it was Amazon. She looks at me and she says, get out of there. I said, why? You've got a problem. I said, oh, come on. Well, we didn't need those bulbs in the chandelier and I didn't need a vacuum. We've got a Centrovac. What are you doing? And she said, I think I need to send you to Spendaholics Anonymous. And uh, I was just out of control this week. It was kind of weird. And that's not the end of it. It gets worse. And I'll tell you a story at the close of the message. So guess what this week is about? Self-control. You know, I should have known it. My wife should have taken away my debit card and credit card that I'd probably get attacked, I'd probably be tempted, I'd probably give in, you know, I'm glad to say it wasn't, I didn't go buy a new car, a new house, or anything like that. It was just hundreds of dollars, and it was, by the way, money I shouldn't have spent. That vacuum was a little too much. But I didn't do so well with self-control this week. Friends, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we are very complex people. Honestly, because of our removal from the Garden of Eden, our removal from the presence of God and that wonderful influence that he would give Adam and Eve as they walked in the silent of the evenings together and talk, and because we no longer are under his protective power and presence, we have disease, we have death, we have emotional wounds that mess with us and our influences and what we choose and choose not to do. The fruit of the Spirit that we've been going through, it is a realignment of sorts. It's a realignment of our spirit with God's spirit. Realigning our spirit with God and having his input, his influence in our life, here it comes, it is restorative to us. We start becoming what God created us to be instead of what we have chosen to be through sin, the fall, out of his presence. We start coming into his presence and into his influence and we start being who God wants us to be. Many of us have taken our Christianity and we've turned it into data, 
rules and rituals. That was never the original plan. If you read in Romans 5 in the Bible, the Apostle Paul describes that sin was added to our lives. We were given the commandments. We were given the dietary rules. We were given the legal, uh, all those kind of rules to go to church and different things. And it was given so that our sin would actually increase. So that was the purpose of the law. And you'll notice as we read in Galatians 5, it said this isn't part of the law. But we were given the law in the Old Testament so our sin would increase. Why? So that we would understand and realize the mark on the wall, we weren't measuring up and we need a Savior, Jesus. So why is it when we come into his grace, we come into his forgiveness, we start thinking as we see that we're not conforming to the ways of God, but we're conforming to the patterns of this world, we start adding rules and rituals and all this stuff to try to pick ourselves up by the bootstraps. Galatians 5 really is about the Holy Spirit, his influence coming into you. God wants a relationship with you. And this relation is transformative and restorative. The Holy Spirit, friends, that we read about in Galatians 5 is not a force. He's a person who wants to have communion with you. We have a table before us. He's not a magical power. He's not a vitamin. The Holy Spirit is a person who is a friend. He's described in the Bible as a counselor, not in the sense of, I need to go see a counselor because I've got these soul wounds that I need to work through, but he's a counselor as in a friend like like Rod and I are friends in the office. His office is right beside me, and I can go into his office and say, I just bought a brand new vacuum for my wife, and he can go, well, you know, that's the kind of counselor the Holy Spirit is. That wasn't a real smart thing, Anthony. Even though the Holy Spirit is this to us, most of us barely hear his voice. We have rituals and rules and we attend church and we do this and we do that. And the scriptures say that our relationship with Jesus is the type like a shepherd with its sheep where the sheep can actually hear the shepherd's voice, recognize his voice and follow him. But most of us don't even know what Jesus sounds like. Listen very carefully. If your Christianity is a burden, the scripture says something about our yoke is supposed to be light. And if your Christianity seems irrelevant to most of your life, then you're missing a huge restorative and intimate relationship with God that he brought about through the most significant of events. Did you know that somewhere around 30, 40% of our young people in evangelical churches are walking away from the churches when they turn 19? Number one reason they cite, Christianity was irrelevant and it didn't work for me. Do you know what that does to my heart? Under my watch, to hear that young people don't get anything out of their walk with God, and I believe the big reason why is because they, all they see is the rules and the rituals and the do's and the don'ts. They have not comprehended or understood their relationship with Jesus. Friends, Jesus died to give you life. 
He died so your cup would overflow. He died so you could be reconciled to God today, so that you could walk in the evenings in the garden, so to speak. And he died for you for eternity. The fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, it is not a dusting of nice thoughts. The fruit is an abiding in Jesus. It is God rubbing off on us. Galatians 5.22 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, relationship, counselor, let us keep in step with the Spirit, self-control, friends, that he wants to give you so that you can keep in step with him. Now, when I talked to Pastor Rod this week about self-control, he said, you know, and he got, got that wise thing, and he, he always, if you've talked to Rod, he kind of puts his hand on his chin. And he said, Anthony, self-control isn't so much what you shouldn't do. That's part of it. But self-control is also doing what you should do. And understand, friends, this is a fact. This is true. I remember telling my mom as she tried to quit smoking, I said, Mom, you smoke because it brings you some comfort. It brings you some, I used to always call her cigarettes, her friend Siggy, because she'd go outside to smoke. I said, oh, you're going to see your friend Siggy. You're going for a walk. You see, for her to smoke, I told her, and to quit smoking, she needed to replace what she got out of the cigarettes with something that was healthy. And unfortunately, my mom never overcame that. And the cigarette smoking, in the end, actually got her arteries hardened, uh, and she ended up having a heart attack. Very sad. My dad used to warn me that bad company corrupts good character. Now, my dad went to church a little bit, but he understood as a child and growing up an adult that bad company, if I hung out with them, they're going to influence me badly. It usually was in reference to the boy down the street that I was friends with. And, and by the way, as an adult, he ended up becoming Christian and turned out really good. But growing up, he was not a good influence. I mean, between trying to convince me to steal stuff and uh, to get into stuff that I shouldn't and his language and the way he talked and he was really disrespectful. And my dad was right. I was a teenager and I was heavily influenced by my friend. This really came to light to me one day as I was thinking about it and my little dog Sparky, he was about a foot tall, little black thing. He loved to lick you. He was so friendly. He disappeared one day. Mom told me, can you go out and find Sparky? So I looked everywhere, and I finally went way away from our house, and there was a big empty field. Well, it wasn't empty. It had horses in it. And in that field, I saw my little dog, Sparky. He was running with about 10 other dogs that were really big, and they were trying to bring down a horse. I kid you not. They were biting at the horse's uh, back legs and trying to bring it down. And I sat there and went, my dog, Sparky? What influenced him to be like that? And it was at that moment God said, yeah, you get it, Anthony. He's hanging out with the big boys, the bad boys. 
And look how he's behaving. If you understand the dog pack mentality, did you know people were not much different? What is influencing you? Who are you hanging out with? God wants to infuse us with his good DNA. Rituals and rules will not get you to true righteousness, friends. Hanging out with God will. Listen to Paul describe how self-control worked in his life, and he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Here comes the self-control. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. What's the opposite of an athlete? Just saying, don't look at me too close. Rod's an athlete, this not so much. Verse 26, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, to the same church, Paul writes, for though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not with the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons we have, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What are strongholds? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. Friends, there is a battle and a war going on between your ears every single day. And self-control is the secret or the trick or, the, or the, the, the thing that will help us to overcome the outcomes in our lives, either the sins of the flesh or the sins of the Holy Spirit. Many of us honestly have soul wounds. These are sometimes called PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, or some other such name. There's lots of different names. These are real hurts that we've experienced and they're fears that are rooted in real experiences and thoughts. Fear, friends, is a horrible, horrible thing. We know that the Bible declares, and listen to this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, but the one who fears is not made perfect in love. God loves you and me so much. He sent his one and only son who lived 33 years amongst us, went to a death on a cross he didn't deserve and died that death, hanging a horrible, horrible death so that you and I would be loved so much and we would know we were loved so much. We would be forgiven, we'd be restored and we'd be reconciled to God. Hopefully you're seeing that the verses and the scriptures are pushing us towards one main point or idea. We need restorative work. The Garden of Eden's where it all went wrong, and God is changing that now in the world through Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now, born of water, that's your physical birth. Born of the Spirit, that's something that you and I need to do 
as followers in this world. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I never will assume because you attend church and try to live right that you're a Christian. I just won't. You must and need to understand that what God wants to do in you is on the inside. He wants to transform. He wants to reconcile. He wants to change. He wants to make you a new person. Not a better version of yourself, but a new person. And so I ask you this morning, are you born again? This isn't about ritual. This isn't about going to church. Church is good to do, by the way. Hanging around with good people is a good thing. But if you're not born of the Spirit, it goes nowhere. You need that inner counselor, the Holy Spirit, who comes by the power of being born again. Life without God, walking in the Garden of Eden, it means a slow death and more wounds to our souls. God wants us back. He wants us reconciled. He wants us transformed. Are you born again this morning? Born again, honestly, is really simple. It's just you get to the end of your rope, the end of yourself, and you realize, I have so many soul wounds. I don't like the way I react to everything. I don't like the fears and phobias I have. I need help. I need Jesus. And it's at that point you say, I am a sinner. I have been estranged by God. I've been trying to do my own thing. And I come to you today, Jesus. I accept you and receive you into my life. So the second question I have for you, well, it's actually the third question because I started out the service with a question. My third question is, are you abiding in the vine? One of the mistakes, I'm an evangelist and I love to bring people to Jesus. I like to explain to them without being born again spiritually, they will have a eternity in hell. And if they repent and believe, they will be with an eternity in heaven. One of the problems comes in, though, if I never get to talk to you again, I never get to disciple you, you will miss out on the second most important part, that God wants a relationship with you. That's what it's all about. He wants you to be plugged into the vine. He wants to restore you. John 15, 5, Jesus said these words, I am the vine, you are the branches, If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Do you feel fruitless? Do you feel useless? Do you feel like everything is for naught? For apart from me, you can do nothing. And again, I ask you, are you abiding in the vine? Are you in a relationship with Jesus? Is the Holy Spirit the counselor inside of you? And can you hear his voice and recognize it? Is your Christianity religion? or relationship? Are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, or are you growing in the fruit or the sins of the flesh? So I'm at my conclusion, because we have communion before us. I'm just gonna read two different Bible verses. One's in the New Living Translation, one's New International Version, one's from Colossians, one from 2 Timothy. I'm not going to make comment. I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And if you're not born again yet, do it real quick. 
Just ask him into your life. Because I believe the shepherd wants you to start recognizing his voice. He wants to speak to you, and the word is the most powerful way. But Jesus speaks outside of the word sometimes. Sometimes in dreams, sometimes in pictures. But you will always recognize who it is. Satan is a crafty person, will try to come and imitate Jesus at times. But I want you to hear Jesus today. Listen to these verses. Colossians chapter, verse, chapter 1, verse 28. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This week I was scheduled for another test because of the motorbike accident I was in. And this test was an MRI, and I thought I'd had one before, but when I got there I realized I hadn't. Has anybody had an MRI? A few of you have had them. Well, let me describe. I, I had no idea. I show up and there's this little skinny table, no, skinny table that they put me on. And I saw the hole that I was about to go into and I thought, I don't know if I'll fit in there. So they wanted to do my shoulder and they were going to put a camera on my shoulder. So they had to strap uh, cords and belts around me to hold this camera in place. So basically I felt strapped to this table. Then they put earplugs in my ears. Well, I put them in beforehand, and I thought, okay, well, I can always hear a little bit with earplugs. Then they put headphones over top of my ears. And so I'm starting to feel a little edgy. And then as the table starts moving into the machine, they put a cloth on my eyes. And I'm going, why the cloth? I think I said, why the headphones? And they go, well, it's really loud. It makes banging noise. Why the cloth? Well, there's a thing that spins around and you don't want to see it. And so I'm sitting there going, okay, okay, okay. And I remember the long tunnel. It's about eight feet long and I don't remember there even being an end on the other end. But uh, the table's moving in and I kind of can see out the cloth at the bottom and it's getting darker and darker and darker. And, and I'm probably two or three feet past my feet into this hole. And all of a sudden, I had something that's never, ever happened to me ever in my life. Now, did I mention to you I'm claustrophobic? <laughs> I've always kept it under control. I, I can get a little antsy when I'm in airplanes. I always have to sit in the aisle seat and different things like that. But uh, my thing keeps trying to talk to me. Oh, you be quiet. But I had a panic attack, and I've never had one. I started hyperventilating. I, my heart started racing. 
and uh, the girl yells at me, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> and she goes, what's wrong? And I said, I need to get out of this. And so out I came, and I was ready to jump off the table and scream out of the room. And she's like, no, no, you're all strapped down. And so they're undoing these straps. And I said, I am so embarrassed. And she goes, you know what? This actually happens two or three times a day with this machine. And so if you've had that, right after the service, we're having a MRI anonymous out in the foyer. <laughs> it's a support group that we need to start. People have asked me how it went, and I said, I failed. And they go, how in the world can you fail a test? And I said, well, let me tell you about it. Is that not weird that I was preaching about self-control and I failed completely at self-control a couple times this week? I have no idea where the root to my fear comes from in claustrophobia. And I ask a question, so how does my first sermon fit that situation? What would I say to me knowing if I was going for another MRI? <coughs> the first thing I would say to me is accept that you have a phobia. Except that you have a soul wound. Except for some reason you have this incredible fear of being in small spaces. Secondly, I would say maybe book a CAT scan instead. But thirdly, I would tell me, ask God what the root to it is. Where is this coming from? What kind of thoughts do you need to take captive to the obedience of Christ? I would spend the whole day, by the way, in the Word, on my knees in prayer. I'd be asking the Spirit to fill me. I'd even see if I could bring Christian music into the CAT scan. I would like to try it again. As you know, after my plane crash, I had a fear of flying, and I overcame that. And I still get a little twinge of fear sometimes when I fly, but for the most part, it's not even a second thought. But here comes the big tip I would give to me. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit wants Anthony to be free from claustrophobia. Or the Holy Spirit wants us to be free from, you fill in the blank, maybe you have a fear of pastors, maybe you have a fear of balloons, maybe a fear of needles or a fear of doctors, or maybe you have a fear of your wife. Honestly, with a soul wound, it may take counseling and a support group to go to. You may actually live the rest of your life being afraid of MRI machines, and I may have to get drugged to go in one. I don't know. But God wants to walk a restorative journey with you, whatever stuff you're working through. And I knew when I was preparing this message that Mel was going to get up here and talk about rising above. I knew there may be people that were in cycles of defeat, and I want to give them and you hope. I want to tell you what God actually came to do. It wasn't to give you eternal salvation, although that's part of it. But he came to transform you. And that's in relationship. That's him rubbing off on you. So I ask, as I did at the start of the message, what or who is influencing you? Some of us need a little self-discipline, and it's kind of this weird thing that we have this relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit fills us, as we let the Holy Spirit and hear his voice and talk to him and read the scriptures, and he fills us with self-control that gets us more Holy Spirit, more Jesus Christ, more transformation. It's a really incredible dynamic.
The first time I noticed Holy Spirit transforming me was when I was a camp counselor. I was 17. It was Camp Sagatawa, Moberly Lake. I grew up in a non-Christian home. They were good people, but they weren't Christians. They had a lot of the stuff of the world in them. And I remember going to the camp, and every morning, the counselors, we started off at 7 a.m. in prayer with the director. We had songs every day, Christian songs. We had speaker two or three times a day. Uh, It was a wonderful atmosphere to be in as somebody who didn't grow up in the church. And I noticed after two months, there was something changing in Anthony, and I liked it. I remember I would go up into the boathouse with my Bible and I would read my Bible and I could hear God's voice and he would speak to me so clearly. I was so excited to go back to high school, grade 12. I was going to be a lighthouse for Jesus. I was going to be strong. And I want to tell you something that happened by October. I had completely backslidden. And in fact, Rod and I were talking about this last week. I had started to smoke marijuana. I had started to drink a bit. I started going to parties. But there's something that would never leave me. In all of this time, they would talk about the parties on Monday, and I'd be going, I don't know, it wasn't that fun. It just wasn't that fun. It was, you know, if it wasn't for the drugs and alcohol, it would have been a complete blowout. I mean, there was no real laughing or anything. Like, this is horrible. I remember this haunting that went on with me was, man, last summer, I liked me. I liked who I was. I liked the friends I had. I liked the change in my heart. I liked how I felt. And I remember the distinct occasion that happened. I just had enough. I went with my brother. My brother still teases me that I got him into drugs. And I went, took my brother to a bunch of other friends, and they were doing some drugs, whatever it was, doesn't matter. And I did some of the drugs, and I felt just horrible inside. I remember driving home. I lived out in the country in Fort St. John. I pulled into a field, and I had to dig really deep in my car, but I found one of those old Keith Green CDs. Well, there wasn't CDs, cassette tapes back then. Almost old enough to be an 8-track, but it wasn't quite that bad. And I plugged in Keith Green. And with tears, I said, God, I miss you. It had only been a couple of months, but boy, was it awful. And I'm just calling you today. I'm begging you. As parents especially, show your kids what it's like to be in a restorative relationship with Jesus, walking with him, hearing his voice, at the dinner table, praying and saying, God, speak to us, and then asking your family, what did God say to you? Let's work on this. And we as a church are going to go deeper into this as we go along. We've already had Holy Spirit weekends where people have had a lot of soul wounds here. We have soul care weekends where people have also had some of their soul wounds healed. You heard that we have listening prayer rising above that people have gone through to help. This January, we're going to actually have a set-free weekend. And if it freaks you out, it should. (laughs) It's not an easy thing, but we want you to be free. I want to be free. I've gone to two set-free weekends, and God met me both times. We're also hoping right away that we're going to put on a hearing God class. And I don't know how soon that'll be. I want it sooner than later, so hopefully it'll happen. 
Already almost 30 people have been experiencing being set free. Another 80 ladies have gone through soul care. God, friends, is on the move. He's in restoration. He's in relationship changing. He wants to influence and rub off on you. This is the beginning. There is more yet to come for you in Christ. So as we come to the communion table, understand this is a visual picture of today's sermon. As you take the elements of the bread and the juice, I want you to use your imaginations today. When you eat the bread, please understand the symbolism of Jesus going in you. As you drink the juice down, I mean, it's cold. You'll feel it going down your tubes. I remember one of the tests I got done in the last six months is they injected my vein with radioactive dye. I felt it go in every part of my body. From my head down to my toes, when you drink that juice, I want your imagination to imagine that Jesus is filling you every inch of you, transforming you, changing you. He is radioactive dye of the Holy Ghost variety. As the elders come, I want to pray. Heavenly Father, Forgive us for losing so many of our young people because we are not a whole lot different than the world. There's very little that's attractive about us anymore. We have not been hearing your voice. We wouldn't know your voice from Satan's voice if we tried because we have just been going through the rituals we attend church, we hang around a few Christians now and again, then we plop in front of the influence box called a TV. And God, I'm not saying we shouldn't watch TV, but God, we certainly need to leave, live balanced lives. We need to spend time walking in the garden with you. Forgive us, God, for not letting you influence us. Forgive us, Holy Spirit, for not letting you counsel us. Maybe I wouldn't have bought a vacuum and some light bulbs this week if I just spent a few minutes hearing your voice. So as we come to the communion table, Jesus, this table represents everything in the sermon today. As we take the bread and swallow it, as we drink the juice and swallow it, representing your body and your blood, that is transformational. And many of us have such deep soul wounds, it probably will take a whole lifetime. And, and some of those soul wounds would be something that we have to literally kind of uh, manage by the power of your Holy Spirit. We may always struggle with the fear of MRIs, or we may always struggle with wanting to go to prescription medications. We may always struggle with uh, wanting to lean towards people in the world just so that we can tie one on. But God, may we, by the power of your Holy Spirit, be a transformed, changed people that are just made so sick by sin, and we have this haunting of what life is and what life could be in our life. Holy Spirit, do a fresh and a powerful anointing today as we take these communion elements. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.